What a glorious reminder of God's great grace upon our lives. If you don't have a sermon outline, I'd like to ask you to lift your hands, and these men that are coming forward will be glad to give one to you. Um, I think my mom and dad may need one right here on the front. want to make sure everyone has the one. We welcome you to now the study of God's Word. Our church has just spent several months in the book of 1 John. That, that uh, little letter has now ended, and uh, we're going to take just a few weeks and look at the life of the church. I want you to notice the cross that's in front of you. Notice the cross on the screens as well, and I love this depiction of the cross because it's the picture of God's people gathered around our Savior. This morning, we have gathered in this room to gather around the Savior. And so this morning, as we come to worship and we remember that it is Christ who brings us together, that He is the raison d'etre, He is the reason for us to be. This morning, I want us to take a few moments to begin a series um, entitled The Healthy Church. The Healthy Church, and the idea is moving toward maturity, will be the first one this morning. But um, I want you to also notice that when we talk about healthy, healthy church, this is talking about me, but it's also talking about us. It's me and us. And notice that that's, that's really part of the series that is here. Because when, when some people might begin to think about a series or a message on the church, they think, oh, well, this is about just the church corporate. Well, no, friend, listen. You, your life, your individual life is what helps make up the church. So as go you... The church goes. And so when we see the New Testament talking about what is to be in the life of the church, and when we see the Word of God dealing with the church, it's dealing not just with some entity, but it's dealing with the people of the church, the individuals of the church, the obedience of individuals, the disobedience of individuals, the understanding of individuals, the ignorance of individuals. And so when we come to this series, I hope that you will see this beautiful bond between you and your life and our church together in the life of Christ. And so this morning we are looking at a key passage of Scripture, um, perhaps um, our chief passage for this series but Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 6, and we're going to be looking at healthy church moving toward, what is that word that's there? Maturity. Can you circle that word up there at the top in the, in the outline that is there? I want you to just notice, I want this to register with you this morning that we're looking at God's call for the church, both individual and corporate, to move toward maturity. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. In verse 11 it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints of the work of the ministry, for the work of the ministry. For building up of what? The body of Christ. 
That's the church. Until we all attain, notice that, we all, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or to mature adulthood as opposed to what we'll see in the next verse, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. You see, there's the difference. There's the juxtaposition of manhood versus children, adulthood versus children. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to underline it, grow up in every way into him. Who is the head? Into Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body, circle that word, grow. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We live in a current context where there's a lot of confusion over what maturity is. Some people would say that, well, mere age brings maturity, um, but that's not true. There are some people that would say wealth brings maturity. Some people would say education brings maturity. Some people would say, well, the number of people that are in your Instagram or in your feeds somehow shows your prominence, and oh, this person is is really well known. But all of these things, we can have examples, we could tell anecdotes of how that's not true. That doesn't mean maturity. You see, our world, fill it in, is increasingly rejecting maturity. Our world is not only increasingly rejecting maturity, but our world is increasingly embracing immaturity. And we can see that on a multitude of levels. I think about this being Mother's Day and how mothers, I mean, when you just look at the idea of motherhood, I mean, the, the beauty of how uh, that God has chosen women to be the bearers of children and those who would, would bring a life into this world and then all that she does, very often that the guy doesn't even realize, both in the carrying of the child and then in the caring for the child, it's amazing the nurturing heart of a mother, the task of a mother that, as Al Mohler pointed out this week, even her own body is designed to sustain its life both in the womb and outside the womb. That the mother, excuse me, the baby is fed from the mother's body. This is all a beautiful picture of God's design in our biology that, that shows us that there's a maturity that is sought, that the baby begins to grow and eventually the baby is weaned and the baby is protected and the baby is prepared for life and hopefully is growing not only in physical maturity but is also growing in personal, intellectual 
emotional, and most importantly, spiritual maturity. But the world doesn't know much about maturity. The world has increasingly rejected it. I remember um, growing up, spending a lot of time with both my grandparents, Daniels, my mother's parents, and my grandparent, Coleman's. Um, Both of these couples spent a lot of time with me. It seemed like um, a lot of people um, would get tired of me when I was a child because I was kind of ADHD and I would be shipped off to my grandparents. And that was okay with me because with them, I tended to behave much better and um, I learned a lot. But I grew up with them. They were the World War II generation. They were the builder generation. They're all in heaven, obviously, now. But we would sit and talk about the way that they lived their lives and the way that at a, young, at a young age they began working and at a young age they began um, a family. At a young age they took great responsibility on. And the whole society expected that. And when somebody didn't do those things, when a young man or a young woman shirked those responsibilities, it was abnormal. It wasn't the norm. But we live in a day when that has been degrading. And so it's important that as we think about our personal spiritual lives, that we do not let what is happening in the culture to poison our walk with God personally or to poison our church from maturing. It is very important that we recognize the standards of Scripture and the call of Scripture. And if we want to be a healthy church or a healthy church member, both of those coming together, directly related, we have to have a mind for maturity, and we can get that mind for maturity from God's Word. Now, Dad, very often, you looked at the three of us kids, and you said, Kelly, Mark, Andrew, figure out where everybody is going and head the other way. He very often would say, don't tell me the answer is because everybody's doing it. That was the last thing you wanted to say to Clell Coleman. That meant you weren't doing it. He understood that by and large, when we look at the trends and we look at the fads and we look at all of the things that the world is imbibing into their life and that they're pursuing with their life, we see that this is not usually the right direction. I want us to take a moment and look at what maturity is marked by. And I I want you to really think about this with me for just a few moments. I've prepared a couple of lists here. And these are worth you writing down. And part of the reason I put them here is I want you to think about them. Now I'm gonna reveal them all at one time here, but let's first look at the maturity is marked by list, which is on your left. And notice with this, with me, and fill these in. The first word there is selflessness. Selflessness. The second word that is there is restraint. When you think about maturity, you think about restraint. When you think about a mature person, you think about someone who is disciplined. You think about someone who has learned that I don't just do what I feel like doing right now. I do what is the right thing for me to do right now. They're disciplined. You think about someone who has 
responsibility, who embraces responsibility. You see, someone who is mature has grown in knowledge. This means that they have learned of the world around them. They have learned of God. And this knowledge by the Spirit of God often brings wisdom. There are people in the world that do have wisdom. They don't know God. But wherever there's wisdom, it is God's wisdom, and it is a common grace in our lives. And so we recognize that whether someone is a Christian or not, there are aspects of this, of maturity, that they can embrace. We, we see this just in general, that God has created us to pursue these. We see humility is a part of maturity. And then finally, godliness. Maturity winds up in pointing to God in being like God. Well, let's think about the other list that is here. As opposed to selflessness, there is what? Selfishness. I want you to think for just a moment, a toddler. We've had a bunch of toddlers here in the room uh, in the last few minutes um, for this dedication. Um, do you have to teach a toddler to be concerned just about themselves and to think of themselves and their, their own wants? Do you have to teach them? How about this next one? Impulsiveness. And that impulsiveness can turn into what? Hostility. And this isn't only for the toddler that's in the room, but this is for our society that no longer holds on to the great values of maturity. So selfishness, imp impulsiveness, negligence, very often is also the picture of laziness. And just the opposite of responsibility is irresponsibility. The opposite of knowledge is ignorance. Immaturity thrives on foolishness. And very often, pride becomes the center, and all of this turns to exhibit ungodliness. You see, the ultimate maturity of the world is what we would see in the person of God. That He is perfect in every way. He is complete. And very often, when we see New Testament translators translating the Bible for us, the word perfect or complete and maturity are intertwined. Sometimes they are used synonymously. And so when we consider the great character of God, He is perfectly mature. He is perfectly complete. And He calls us to be like Him. Now I want you to notice the fruit of maturity. Maturity leads to purpose. Maturity leads to purpose. It leads to productivity. It leads to contentment. And yes, it leads to joy. You know, when you just think about mature people, you see that they're, they're living with a purpose. Their life is producing something. They are productive. They're not idle. A mature purpose, a mature person lives with a purpose. They live with it. And then this, they have learned the joy of contentment. And they have experienced that joy and it's exhibited in their life. Now think about what immaturity leads to. 
Immaturity leads to confusion and chaos. Yes, you can look at a toddler's room. If you leave a toddler alone in a room, their room, their toys are there and everything, and assuming that the room is safe and that you've put the, you know, the covers on the plugs and you've, you know, got a shock wire up where if they climb up on the dresser, I don't know, however you keep them off the dresser, but um, don't use a shock wire. I'm just kidding. Um, but you, you, they have a safe room and you leave them in there for a little bit. I know our grandson, Julian, you leave him there for a little bit and then just in a little bit, what does the room look like? Everything is everywhere. There's chaos and there's confusion. And usually what is he doing? He's sitting there staring up into the ceiling, drooling all over everything and contemplating the, the popcorn on the ceiling. And what does that mean? He's just kind of dissipating. That's, that's what immaturity does. But there comes a time when that's no longer appropriate. I mean, if Carrie Johnson was just going through everything in the room and sitting on the middle of the carpet in the, in the floor and pulling everything out of the cabinets in the kitchen, you know, uh, Pat Johnson would say, something's wrong with Carrie. <laughs> Confusion and chaos. But there are some who live their lives in confusion and chaos. The stakes go from just being a room full of toys to a life with great agonies and troubles. They spend their lives in dissipation and eventually leads to misery and then very often to despair. This is where immaturity goes. Now, at this moment, I think it would be good for all of us to kind of think about our own lives, my dad and my mom would often talk to me about, son, it's time to grow up. It's time for you to move to the next level. It's time for you to consider the uh, consequences of your actions. It's time for you to make a plan about things in your life. It's time for you to learn how to study on your own. That we're not gonna, how many times did we hear? We're not gonna always be here to guide you and keep you. You're going to have to learn to keep yourself. I'll never forget the time when mom came home and found folded clothes in the dirty clothes. And dad came home, they had a little meeting in their bedroom, and then there was a family meeting called the living room, and we all sat down and dad just presented to us the folded clothes in the dirty clothes. He said, do you think your mother just does this for fun? Do you think she just can't wait to get stay up late and fold your clothes for you? And he just announced to us that day, your mother is never going to do your clothes again. You now are going to, he marched us out to the little utility room where the washer and the dryer was, and he explained to us, and as, as only a Georgia Tech engineer can explain to you, all the way a washing machine works. He explained to us the key components of it. He explained to us the concept of it. He explained how detergent works and how it surrounds the molecules of dirt and oil. And he went through with great detail how God has given humanity the ingenuity to come up with a machine that will wash your clothes for you. You ought to be grateful for it because you're going to use it. And then we went through the dryer. And... Mom never did our laundry again. Why? 
They wanted us to not live in confusion and chaos and dissipation and misery and despair. They wanted us to experience purpose and productivity and contentment and joy as they called us to grow up. Now, God calls you to grow up. He calls this church to grow up. Notice this on the outline. It is God's intent that His people, His church, that's what His people is, it's His church to grow up into maturity. And we have said this over, but I want you to make sure that everybody in the room gets it, both individually and corporately, or what we would say collectively. When we talk about corporate, we're not talking about business. We're talking about the body, the core of the church, the corporate nature of the church, that God is calling us to grow up in Him in our behavior, in our lives, in our faith, in Him. Now, there's many passages that we could go to about the issue of, of um, maturity, but just notice a couple of these. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it, what does it say after that? So that by it you may what? You may grow up in your what? salvation. So what he's saying is he's writing to new believers and he's saying, just like a newborn craves milk and wants that, do you want to grow up in the spiritual milk of the word? To grow up in them. This is not a condemnation of spiritual milk. This is an exaltation of spiritual milk. In this context with 1 Peter chapter 2, he's saying you should desire the beautiful spiritual milk of the word so that you can that you can grow in your understanding and in your experience of God's salvation. But notice in, second, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, now, Corinthians is written to a church that had a lot of moral trouble. They had a lot of maturity trouble. They were a very immature people. Paul was having to correct them. And look what he says to them. He says, I, ha- I gave you milk not solid food. This whole idea of like feeding a child. I had to give you milk, not solid food. Look what it says. For you were not yet ready for solid food. In fact, what does it say? You're still not ready. So he is, he is cutting them with the truth. And he's telling them the reality that they are immature and not ready to grow. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 20. He says, brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. He's saying you ought to be innocent and naive when it comes to evil. You ought to be tender. But look what he says. But in your thinking, what? Be mature. God's word calls us to embrace Maturity. Now, I want us to take a, few th- take a few minutes and look through this passage that's in the box that's our passage today. I want us to glean out from this. Um, the idea of this is we want to see what the passage says. For some of you, you've never been in a service where a passage is worked through methodically. We commend you for being here. This is the main picture of everything we're doing. Um, the introduction that, I's given, that I've given you is to help you be ready to see and to hear what this passage is saying to us. 
First of all, I want you to notice that the book of Ephesians is only, just look at the screen in front of you, the letter to the Ephesian church is only six chapters long. It's only six chapters. And the first half of the book, almost exactly chapters one through three, is about our position in Christ. This is for believers in Jesus Christ. It's what is your position now that you are in Christ? And you read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, and it beautifully describes everything that God did when he saved you. It describes who you are now that you have had an identity change. In fact, notice this. This is our new identity of being forgiven and empowered through Christ's salvation. This is the picture of our position in Christ. And then the next four chapters, or the next three chapters, chapters four through six is our practice in Christ. Now, why do I share that? Because I want you to see we're looking at a passage from that next section. And so it's talking about how do you fill it in here? How do you, what is the new behavior? What is the new behavior in our new behavior is to reflect our new identity in Christ. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you don't keep living like you did before you came to faith. You now have been changed. You've been transformed. You've been forgiven. You have been empowered by God's Spirit. And so now you're called to live a different way. Now, some people that think because they walked down an aisle, they filled out a card, they had a chill that ran down their spine, they realized something new about the gospel, they think, oh, wow, I must be saved. And then they go out and they seek to live exactly like they were living, living in the same morality, the same speech, the same interests, the same immaturity, and think that that's okay. And that's from poor teaching and that's from poor discipleship. But a church that tells what the Bible actually says about how we should live is a church that says, no, God has come and saved you. God has given you a new identity. And if you have a true new identity, your life is to be lived out in that new identity. And I just want to encourage you to see that this is what God has called us toward. And then we see at the beginning of chapter 4, really only in verse 11, we see this calling to walk in maturity. So let's read the passage again. I want you to see it, and then we're going to blow through it very quickly. Um, let's look at verse 11. It says, And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And here it is, for building up the body of Christ. Now we're, we're looking at this. This is corporate language. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. So it's, it's together in corporate, but the all is there, which means you. This matters to you as well. Knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to, me, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried, out, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human coming, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You see, that's immaturity. But verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, with each part, when each part is working properly, 
makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Number one, I want you to notice that this passage focuses on growing up in Christ. This passage focuses on growing up in Christ. Um, And in fact, I can't just select one or two verses for it because in every verse we see it. Look at the screen in front of you. I want you to see the passage. I've highlighted these. Uh, Go ahead and progress to the next slide, gentlemen. Um, No, where it goes to the Scripture. Um, I want you to see the Scripture where, yes, thank you. Notice what it says when it is saying all that the references to growing up together, building up the body of Christ to be into mature hand, manhood. No longer be children. Look at the next slide. There you go. Grow up in every way. The body is to grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see that this is all focused around maturing? This is a very important aspect of this. So what do we gain out of this great call to go ahead and grow up? Number one, Christ didn't save you to leave you where you are. Christ didn't save you to leave you where you are. Notice this, Christ saved you to make you like him and put out there to the side, mature. Remember, God is mature. And so he saved you to make you like him. Look at the next part. For the present time, that is in this life, God intends for you to grow to be more like Jesus, that we may be like him, that Christ's likeness may be part of who we are as individuals and who we are as a church, that we would reflect that. Look at the middle bullet point. We do this by growing, very important, in knowledge of him. This is why you need to study your Bible. This is why you need to come and hear the word preached. This is why you need to take time to grow in his truth. In faith in him, not only do you study and grow in knowledge, you study and grow in faith. You actually to begin to believe and to trust. And not only faith in him, but also faithfulness to him. This is your obedience in faith. You see, this means you increasingly believe and you increasingly do. That there's action to your belief. I wanted to say to you that it's very wrong for a church to expect people to simply come and sit And the only action that they really want the people to take is to open their wallet and give their money. That's a very contorted, that is a very unbiblical mentality. Now, you ought to come and sit and listen and learn. You ought to come and worship. And you ought to give and support. Yes, that's true. But let me tell you, a true church family is called to actively obey what God has called us to do and told us to do throughout his word. Obedience is always a big deal to God. From the Old Testament all the way through to the end of the New Testament, it is about obeying God. It's about doing what he has said to do. Words are cheap, but actions show that you've heard them. 
Notice the next to the last one there. And we do this, we believe and do by, we do this both individually and corporately as a local church. This is why God has called you and called me to be part of a local church. If you're a believer, God has called us. We talk a lot about that. Some of you are brand newest to us today. We talk about something called meaningful membership, that you would come into the life of the church, that you would begin to experience life together as a church family, caring for one another, interested in one another, and doing ministry together to a lost and dying world. He's called us to not hide the gospel under a bushel or under a cover. He's called us to shine brightly the light of Christ as we do that together. And we see in John 13 and 34 and 35 that the most effective way that we do that, shining the light of Christ, is by loving one another and obeying his commands to make disciples of all nations. And so we see this, that the local church is very important to God. So I commend you for being here. How about this one, the last one? As the members of a church mature, so does the church. And what? Vice versa. There are some times when the members of the church are growing individually. You're learning something new, something great is happening, and there's a few people that are here in this new area, or a few people in this area. We have a group of about 11 or 12 guys that are on a chat right now, and it's just a, it's just, just a prayer challenge. I was talking to one of them this week, and he said, I've been so encouraged. I've been so encouraged. We have a prayer challenge. We're challenging each other to just spend 20 minutes a day in prayer, uninterrupted prayer. And, you know, it's easy to pray for a little bit and then get distracted or, you know, just kind of suddenly realize you're hungry or suddenly get a phone call or a text or something. How do we spend time learning to pray, learning to pour our heart out before God, learning to truly do what we say that we do by coming before God, spending time, communing with God, learning, and that is a spiritual discipline, by the way, learning the spiritual discipline of prayer. And so, as those individual guys grow in that exercise, as they're dealing with their failures on it and dealing with their successes on it and encouraging one another, as those individuals grow in their relationship of prayer, listen to this, the church grows because these young men are growing in their maturity as believers. So it affects the church. And then sometimes a church takes strides and new, new actions that moves it toward greater maturity in one area or another, and the whole congregation is challenged by that, and the whole congregation, the individuals begin to, so the church is moving in a new direction or a new initiative or a, or a new concern, and then all of us are challenged to come along in that. So it can go both ways. Number one... This passage is focuses on growing up. Number two, notice that God gives evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip us for growth. To fill that in, to equip us for growth. Now, we, we see that when this was written, before the New Testament was finished, we see the prominence of the apostles and some prophets, as well as evangelists, prophets, excuse me, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. The word shepherd is poimen. That means pastors. And so the first part we see here is that the apostles and prophets were instrumental until the New Testament was complete. 
After the New Testament was complete, the evangelists, pastors, teachers, continue equipping based upon both Old Testament scriptures and New Testament scriptures. You see, the apostles were the ones who were with Jesus, called to follow by the Lord Jesus, who saw him, experienced him face to face. They were eyewitnesses. And we see in the scripture that there were some who were prophets that validated the messages of the apostles and that they were very practical. It was in local churches. And before the churches had the word of God, the prophets would have a prophetic word that would validate the gospel. Signs and wonders were used around the apostles constantly to help validate that. But after about Acts chapter 16, we don't hear anymore about apostles, and we only hear once about prophets from that point. The evangelists, that's the church planters, the shepherds, that's the pastors, and the teachers of the gospel are the ones who are equipping the church. So just like, think about this, in the Old Testament, the prophets, after the last prophet was finished and the word of God was complete of Malachi, 400 years go of silence. There's no more prophets because the word of God was complete. The people had the word and they could follow the word in this. We, we see a similar thing here, but, but we need to notice this evangelist pastors and teachers, and pastors and teachers are kind of grouped in the same group there. They continue equipping based upon Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, and the emphasis, fill it in, is on declaring the gospel, it's on explaining the gospel, and it's on modeling the gospel. So that is how you can be equipped for the work of the ministry, and for growth, for the building up of the church, is that you hear the gospel proclaimed and respond to it, you hear the gospel explained or taught, that's what we're doing now, and you see the gospel modeled. This is why it's so important that a pastor, this is why it's so important for a servant, a deacon couple in the life of the church to have a good reputation. It's not just about knowing the right answers. It's not just being able to get up and say something in front of a crowd. It's do they live it? We see this issue over and over again in church leadership that we're called to live the gospel. And what do they do? The equipping of the church is to actively serve in the work of God's kingdom. Now, active service is very clearly very much on the heart of God. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the New Testament. Who are you going to serve? Do you remember with with me that Joshua, Joshua stood up before the nation of Israel and he said, choose you this day whom you will serve. Either the gods that you came from or the gods that are around this land or the Lord God of heaven and earth. As for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. We've just had two messages on idolatry. We've had just two two messages on other gods. Other gods crowding out the worship of the one true God. So who do we serve with our life? Who do we serve with our money? Who do we serve with our time, our talents, all the things that we have? Are we serving ourselves? Are we serving the gods of this age? 
Or are we serving the one true God, the one who in just a little while is going to make all things new? This morning, I challenge you to notice that you have been equipped for growth. You are being equipped for growth. And very important, number three, notice in verse 12 that the work of the ministry, fill it in, is intricately related to the building up of the body of Christ. There is no building up of the body of Christ without the work of the ministry. And what is the work of the ministry? The work of the ministry is, yes, the teaching of the gospel, but it's also the caring of the gospel. This is a church family caring for one another. This is a church family banding together to take the gospel to far-off places, to places near and far. This is the work of the ministry. Now, there's some people who have never been challenged with the work of the ministry, and we're going to see this here. Notice the work of the ministry is intricately related to the building up of the body of Christ. When we involve ourselves in the work of the ministry, the body of Christ grows up. Now, you can have a great big church that's very immature if no one is serving, if people have not decided to serve God with their lives. They just kind of like the entertainment on Sunday morning. They just kind of like coming and feeling good, having a few friends, and that's about it. And, and leave. That, that is not at all what we see in the New Testament. We see people giving their lives, leaving house and home to go to new lands. We see people living faithfully in the place where they are, proclaiming the gospel, living the gospel, serving the Lord. Fill this in, strong ministry work, strong ministry work usually results in strong spiritual growth. This is just, you can, you can just look at people in the life of the church. People that are strong in their support, in their service in the life of the church, in their service of others, maybe ministries outside the church, those are the people who tend to be really strong spiritually. There's a direct correlation with obeying God and serving God through loving others and taking care of them, and there's a direct correlation with that and spiritual maturity. It doesn't mean that they don't have any problems. It doesn't mean that they have life under control in every way, but it does have a visible difference in the way that they live their life, in the security of their faith, in the profundity of their impact. Notice this, no ministry work, if you have no ministry work, usually results in negative spiritual growth. What do I mean by that? No ministry work. If the, you show me a Christian and they're not serving, they're not working in the sake of the kingdom, they're not doing the things that God has called them to do. If you show me a Christian where there's, there's not active service, and what I will show you is someone whose heart is stagnating. I will show you someone who feels unfulfilled. Why? Because God made you to serve. He made you to serve others in his name. This is what he's designed you for. And so when we're not doing that, we begin to have a negative. There's a lot of things that can come about in our lives. We can become very critical. You know, it's amazing to me, some of the most critical people um, in ministries or in church or maybe even in business, whatever, are the people that are least involved. 
You know, the more you get involved, um, it's kind of amazing. The, the more you do what you're called to do, it's just kind of amazing how they have a much clearer perspective of how big the task is. And they're filled with a much greater grace. It's, it's really kind of amazing. When we, when we grow in our, in our calling to serve, we begin to start to see that there is a great humility that God brings upon us. I think about people in the life of our church who have served for many, many years faithfully. I think of the Johns. I think of the Pinkertons. I think of the, the Johnsons. I think of the Loudons. I think of many, many others, the individuals, ladies in the life of the church that have served faithfully. And I, and I just think about their maturity, their stability. Are you having trouble with stability in your life? Begin serving. Begin growing and maturing. And it's amazing how that changes everything. Notice this question here in the bold underneath number three. Do you want to grow in faith and joy and nearness to God? Do you want, look at those three. Do you want to grow in faith and joy and nearest, nearness to God? I'm going to go ahead and say it. Get off your keister and serve God. Part of the reason you don't have joy, part of the reason you don't have a greater faith Part of the reason you don't feel near to God is that you're not doing what he said to do. If if you're in the stands and never on the field, if you're the Monday morning quarterback, I want to challenge you to begin to realize the power of what he's called you to, and it's through service that you will grow. Notice this as well. Stop wandering around wondering what's wrong. A lot of Christians are wandering around wondering what's wrong. They're wandering around wondering why they're not growing. They're wandering, wandering around wondering, wondering why they're not more fulfilled, why they feel empty. And part of the great reason of that is that they're not being used of God to do what he has called them to do. It's amazing how service helps with spiritual health. When we are serving God in the life of our church, when we are serving God in the life that he's called us to, the people around us, when we become a servant, you know, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is where joy and contentment come from. Number four, I want you to notice in verse 13 and 14, notice that this involves real spiritual growth. Look at verse 13. Look what it says. Until we all attain the unity of the faith. Now, when it's talking about the unity of the faith, it's talking about the body of belief. That means the unity of the faith is talking about the Christian faith the doctrine that we believe, that we come to, listen to this, we come to line up, we become to be unified with the faith of the gospel. This is what God calls us to, until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. This is an incredibly important part of what God has called us to do. Notice these bullet points that are under there. Unity of faith, you embrace the full message of the gospel. 
That means that you need to study it and you need to grow as we see in the next part. The knowledge of the Son of God. Notice here that Jesus is the center. Jesus is the hope for us. And when you come to the mind and the heart of Christ, when you grow in having the mind and the heart of Christ, this is what will mature you. This is what will fulfill you. There are many Christians that are wandering around, wondering what's wrong, and when you start to ask them what do they understand about who Jesus is and what he's done, they're very anemic. They're quite ignorant. And they've not studied the word, they've not studied sound doctrine, and they've not been applying it in service. But when we come to see that, we come to grow in him. And then notice this last phrase that is there, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, it's that you come to maturity. You come into maturity. This is the maturity of the fullness of Christ. This is what God wants you to do. He wants you to be like Christ. Now, you're not going to be Christ. We watched the American gospel last Wednesday night again. And I think this Sunday or this Wednesday night is going to be the last one. Don't miss it. I encourage you to come. But one of the popular false doctrines is that you actually become a God like Christ. Because you were made in his image, you are a God. That's what prosperity gospel very often teaches. Or that you become like him. That's a rebaked Mormon belief. And there's people who meet in churches that they call evangelical churches that say that they're gospel teaching, gospel preaching churches, and they're basically teaching that you're going to become a God. That is false doctrine. That is, that is completely false. And if you don't know the true gospel, then you come along in the falsehood of that. We are not going to become Christ. We're growing up in the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're not becoming Christ, but we're becoming like him. Are you becoming like him? Or, see verse 14, are you like a child? Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children. And look what happens with children. They're tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. I want you to notice here these things that we're susceptible to. Unstable and susceptible to, notice the three that are here, false doctrine, false teachers, and demons. That's what it is. So God is calling us to grow up in the knowledge of the gospel, to grow up, listen to this, to grow up in the application of the gospel in our lives. And we're to do that individually, and we're to do that corporately, and as we do that individually and we do that corporately, the whole church becomes healthier and healthier and healthier. And God uses us as he has chosen to do. Notice this and fill these in with me. I call you, based upon this message today, to start serving. You're being equipped for service. I call you to start serving. I call you to start learning. Dive into the Word of God. Dive into the doctrines of the faith. Dive into the studies of the gospel. 
and start praying. Prayer is incredibly important to Christian growth. As we worship together and gather, as we spend time in study and we pray being before God, look what it is. We start growing. And this is God's will for you. So a healthy church, I want to call you to move on to maturity. The Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you can be free from your sin. You can be forgiven. You can be made new and live a life of purpose. And I hope that you have received him and that you're living as if you have received him. Amen? Let's stand together for prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning thanking you that you have a design for our lives that's good. We don't want to be like little children tossed about by every wind of doctrine, by every false teacher, or by the deceitful schemes of demons. We want to be those who know the truth because you said you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Lord, I pray that this church would grow in maturity, both individually and corporately. Lord, I pray that this message today would be that which causes some to say, I'll serve. I will begin serving. I will begin serving where there is need in my life, both in my church and all around my life. I want to serve others in the name of Christ. Lord, I pray that this message will cause some to say, I need to grow in my knowledge of God, my knowledge of the Word. I will begin spending time in God's Word. I will begin listening and looking carefully to the deep doctrines that He has called me to believe. And Lord, I pray that many today will say, I will begin praying about these things. I will pray for my own growth. I will pray for the growth of my church. I will pray that we would be a healthy people as we apply the gospel, growing up in maturity in Christ. Holy Father, I ask that you would do this. I pray that you would convict our hearts. I pray that you would help us to put feet to our actions and that we would indeed experience the joy that comes from maturity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.